It is really good to be back. I feel like even though we were here last week, we all ate together, we had brunch, uh, I feel like we haven't been together for a while. I don't know, that's strange. Has anybody else had trouble keeping track of the day of the week the last couple of weeks? I, I swear that we had like six Saturdays between that last week and this week. It just seemed like there was, I couldn't get a handle on what day of the week it was, but it was good. We, we were refreshed. We were relaxed. I trust and pray that each one of you got to spend some time over the holidays doing things that refresh you, whether that's with family, eating together, getting to exchange presents, whatever that was, I trust and pray that, that Jesus gave you some of that and was right in the middle of your celebrations. And uh, as I was thinking about the message today, how many of you know what we always talk about in January? Anybody been around long enough to know that? You, yes, usually we talk about money in January. And it's kind of funny because that's, that's the week like somebody shows up to visit that's jaded towards church and they think all churches ever talk about is money. And we hardly talk about it all year long, but in January, that's what we talk about. And somebody shows up that week and they say, I knew it. That's all they ever talk about is money. But uh, usually that happens because God's working on them about that. And, and as I was thinking about the money series, I did have some notes. I had some things I wanted to share on money, and we'll get to that this month. But God laid something else on my heart that I wanted to share this morning. Uh, so this is not part of a series. I just want to encourage us moving forward into the new year and what God wants to do in our lives. And uh, just like that, how many of you know the year 2000 was 20 years ago? Is that crazy to think about? The year 2000, which we, we all think is like yesterday. The year 2000 was literally 20 years ago now. And uh, in fact, I was thinking about the people that will be graduating from high school this year. How many of you know some teenagers, some people in high school, they're getting ready to graduate soon and they're working towards their degree. And uh, the people that are graduating high school this year weren't even born in 2000. How's, how's that for craziness? Some, some things about them, they, they've spent their lives in school learning about 9-11 as a historical event that happened before they were born. Is that, is that crazy to think about? I remember 9-11 like vividly. How many of us know where we were at the exact moment where you heard the news that was going on? And we've got a whole generation of people that are getting ready to graduate from high school, young adults now, that that's, that's something that they read about in history books. That's an amazing thing to think about. The, the odds are that iPods to them are a thing that they see in a museum. Come on, they, they think that it only played music? Like, how did you make calls or surf the internet on that thing? Like, an iPod, which we were all excited about. In fact, if you're in this room, you might have MP3s older than the people that are graduating from high school this year. Is this, I, come on, think about these things. It goes by in the blink of an eye like that. Come on, the kids that are graduating from high school this year, they probably never put a quarter in a video game. Is there anybody else that admits to the fact that if you had every quarter you ever put in a video game, you would be wealthy beyond imagination? Come on. I spent a lot of time and money honing my hand-eye coordination when I was young, and it didn't pay off like I thought it would. But there's kids that they're like, what? You had to put money in to play the video game? You didn't just turn on the TV and and do the thing? Uh, Most of them have never had to rewind an audio or videotape. Come on, how many of you in the room are old enough to remember Please Be Kind Rewind? If you didn't rewind that thing before you took it back to the video store, they charged you extra. Come on, the kids that are grad... Come on, this is only 20 years ago we're talking about. The kids that are graduating from high school today have no concept of what it means to actually rewind something. How many of you know the relationship between a cassette tape and a pencil? 
Yeah, I got some old timers in the room. Come on, and, and you, met, you met that person in high school that you were like, oh man, they're awesome, I'm going to give them a mixtape. Yeah. And then your tape broke, you had to splice it back and use the pencil, yeah. Come on, this is only 20 years that has gone by like that. Most of the kids that are in high school that are getting ready to graduate today, they never had to push the 7 button four times to put an S in their text message. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now we're at the point now where text messages are getting old and outdated, right? There's, there's different things that we're doing to communicate, but back in the day, you had to work for it if you wanted a text message. I've got to find where that letter is on the keypad and push it the right number of times. Stupid autocorrect, even was back then. This, these are the kids that are just 20 years that they're here today. As far as they're concerned, Wikipedia and Google have always been around, and everything on them is true. How many of you know better than that? Even, even though it's been around for 20 years, we know better than everything on there is true. They've, they've never, the kids graduating from high school have never had to use a paper map or print directions to get somewhere. How many of you remember the feeling of what it was like to be lost? And you're trying to hold the map and figure out where are we? Or we got really sophisticated because MapQuest came out and we printed the map off the internet and took it with us. But then if there was construction or we missed a turn, we were just hosed because now I don't know where I am. And I won't stop to ask for directions. Can I get an amen from the guys in the house this morning? I know right where we are. Or I will as soon as we drive somewhere that I recognize. Come on, the kids today, they pull out their phone, and I've got a map to get exactly where I want to go. And this has only changed in 20 years. I was, I was talking to some kids the other day. They have no idea why we say, I'm going to hang up to end a call. Did you ever think about that? Where did the phrase hang up come from to end the call? It's because the phone used to be on your wall in your house with a cord attached to it, and you had to hang it back up. And the kids today are like, why did you, you say hang up the phone? I'm just ending my call. Or, or the other one is they, they have no idea why you say, I'm going to roll down the window in your car. Like, why'd you do this motion when you wanted the window to go down? Like, shouldn't it be this motion? Come on, these, these are changes that have just happened in the last 20 years. And as, as I was reflecting on what was going on 20 years ago when we were entering into a new year then, do you remember the panic of Y2K? Come on, we, we were going to party like it's 1999, but oops, 2000 party's over, oops, out of time. How many of you remember that song and you're willing to admit it in a church where there's other Christians around? Yeah, thank you for that hand. I see that. We'll have counseling and prayer later. <laughs> 20 years ago, people were worked up. They were in a panic of what was going to happen at midnight on the year 2000. You can see some of the crazy things up there. They thought it was going to be the end of the world. That guy in the middle on the computer there, it's like 11.59, he's using his computer, but as soon as midnight hits, we're back to the Stone Age. That's, that was the panic, the paranoia, the fear. Computers were going to stop working. Water and electricity was going to go off. It was going to be the end of the world. Somehow, computers that couldn't even handle a four-digit date code were going to turn into the Terminator at midnight and nuke us all. Come on, there were crazy things that people were worried and panicked and in fear about. And I would like to say that it's changed a lot. But the more people I meet, the more people I, spend, I find that they spend an inordinate amount of time investing in fear and worry in their lives. 
How many of you know people like that? The, the news stories change, the circumstances change, but the fear and the worry remains constant. It's like all the time. I, I don't know how we got to a place. Uh, I'm not going to say that. I don't want to paint a broad brush of, of any generation or any time that we live, but fear and worry are rampant in people's lives right now. After, after 20 years, it seems to have gotten worse. Uh, Time magazine recently reported that Generation Z, which is uh, like 15-year-olds, 15, 15 to 21-year-olds, that they have the worst mental health of any generation that they studied because of the fear and the anxiety that is crippling people today. Did you ever think about that? What were you worried about at 15 years old? If you're in this room and you're 15, you've got that list right now in your head. But some of us, we've got to remember a lot further back. <laughs> I mean, at 15 years old, you were probably worried about, like, how am I going to get a ride somewhere because I don't get my license till next week. At, at 15, we're worried about where are all my friends going to go out tonight. 15-year-olds today are worried about what's the future going to hold? Are things going to be destroyed? Is there going to be a shooting at my school tomorrow? There's all these things that they're, they're overloaded with. Uh, one of the things, please don't minimize people's fears and worries because they're big to them. Because one, the, one of the things that was on the list, 15-year-olds are more worried about making good grades than getting a job in the future. There's, there's this stress that's coming from this performance of you have to make good grades, you've got to excel. And, and I'm not going to minimize that one because I still have nightmares about college. Anybody in the room have a nightmare recently about like you're still in class and you missed an exam or there's an assignment? My, my big one is I kept having this recurring dream that I missed the cutoff day to withdraw from a class that I was failing. Like, yeah, I'm seeing hands around the room because you felt that stress. That, imagine that, and then tenfold on top of that is what 15-year-olds are feeling about the pressures of life in school. And, and I don't want to minimize what they're going through because to them it's real. And whatever you've been worried or anxious or fearful about, that's been real to you too. So we're not, we're not going to say big things or little things in that idea on the list. And I'm not here to really talk about the causes of what, what's causing the fear. I think... I think some of it may be 15 to 21-year-olds. You haven't been alive long enough to see that things do work out well in the end, that, that God is faithful. They haven't got all that history under their belt, so they're nervous about things. I also think we live in an age of information overload. How many of you know when you have instant access to anything, all of it's urgent? And it, and it seems like things that we, we took our time with years ago to digest, what's, oh, well, what could that mean? And it took me a couple days to get that news. Now it's like in their face all the time. And it's causing this anxiety and this worry and this fear. And I don't know where exactly it all came from, but I do know the answer. We sang to him this morning. He was here in our midst. He wants to take those fears, those worries, those burdens off of us. And I think Jesus knew how fear and worry would consume people. And that's, that's why he made this statement. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, he was walking along talking with this, his disciples about things they were worried about. They, they've been worried about, what are we going to eat? Come on, anybody in here ever have that worry? And yeah, I, I saw a hand go up instantly in the back of the room, and I won't point out who it was, but he's bald and has a big, long beard. Some of you feel that worry and that stress every Sunday morning when the sermon starts going a little long. What are we going to eat? Come on, the disciples were real guys we heard about this morning during communion. They had real needs, real fears, real worries, concerns. Jesus, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear tomorrow? Where are we going to stay tonight? 
They're having all these concerns, and Jesus is walking along with them knowing that he is the answer to every piece of provision you would need, every bit of fear and worry you're ever feeling. And he stops while they're walking along, and he asks them this question in Matthew six twenty seven: Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And I just pause for a second right now and hear Jesus asking you that question right now. Come on, whatever we're worried about, whatever we've been fearful about, whatever we're concerned about, man, 2019 was hard, 2020 doesn't look like, whatever that fear, whatever the worry, the concern is, just close your eyes and hear Jesus ask you that question right now. Could all of your worries even add a single moment to your life? And I I think the answer is obviously no. Jesus, Jesus knew what the answer was. He wasn't fishing for them to give the right answer. It was more of a rhetorical question. He knew that not only will worrying not add time to your life, how many of you know worrying will actually subtract some time off your life? There, there is fear and stress and anxiety that causes things physiologically to happen that will make you old. I've got all of these gray hairs. I earned every one of them. I tell my grandsons, my grandsons look at me and they're like, Pap, what happened to your hair? And, and I, the other three are too old, but Leo still believes me a little bit. I told him, all of Pap's hair sank through my head and came out my chin. <laughs> and the other three know, and like, like Eli's in the room, he's like, Pap, you are kidding me right now. And Leo's like, really? <laughs> I tried it on some other kids here at church and it didn't work. But that's what happened. Our, our worries, our anxieties, they do stuff to us. We lose our hair, gray hair, we feel old. Whatever it is, it really does affect us. And Jesus knew, hey, you, you need to stop being worried all the time. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talks about the worries there, I, I was reading it out of the Amplified, and the Amplified actually translate worry as being perpetually uneasy. Has anybody ever been in that season of life where you just walk around all the time like nervous? When's the other shoe going to drop? Things couldn't possibly be this good. When's, when's something bad going to happen? Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've been in relationship with people or you've come to a church, maybe, and you're thinking, this can't be that good. When, are, when am I going to see the real people here and they'll treat me like the, I've been... Come on, whatever it is, we walk around with this perpetual unease and it's really just worry, trying to creep its way into our life and to rob things from us. That feeling of dread takes a very real physical toll, but there's also ways that worry and fear hurt our daily lives and they affect us. Uh, I want to look at this verse in 1 John, which is a pretty famous verse that we talk about all the time, but 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 says this in the, in the message paraphrase. It says, there is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet formed fully formed in love. Fear hinders us from fully knowing the depth of the love that God has for us. How many of you know that God loves us with an amazing love? It's boundless. It's relentless. Some people would even call it reckless. I heard that in a song somewhere. There is no end to the depth of the love that God has for us. The love that would motivate Jesus to step out of eternity and to come walk on this earth and go to the cross. There is no end to that love, but when we have fear, we aren't fully knowing and aware of the depth of the love that God has for us. Because 
in perfect love, there is no fear. And as, as I was thinking about it, uh, there is no fear in perfect love. So if I am experiencing fear in some area of my life, do you know what that means? There is an opportunity to know his love better. Come on, this, this might help some of you this morning, because if, if, I think if we really get this, the devil would stop trying to assign and, and bring so much fear and worry into our lives. Do you ever look at your, your in dashboard on your car and one of those lights goes off? And what do you do? You, you keep driving another 100,000 miles, right? No, that's like an indicator that you need to do something different with your car. So you need to take it and get it checked out, or you need to have something serviced. Fear is like an indicator light on our dashboard that says you've got an opportunity to know God better. If there's fear in our lives, what, what would happen if every time we sensed and were aware of fear and worry in our lives, that we looked at it as, man, I need to figure out where I need to know Jesus better. Maybe, you're, maybe money is causing you fear right now today because we overspent on Christmas. Any, any overspenders in the room? You've got credit card bills hanging out there that are going to be due the end of this month. Come on, maybe there's money has caused fear in your life. And what if instead of being afraid and worrying about it, what if I drove myself to say, you know what? I need to go meditate on Jesus as my provider. He takes care of all of my needs. He looks at situations where he could even tell one of his disciples, go, go catch a fish and you're going to find money in the mouth of the fish. What if I started meditating on that every time I started to get in fear about money? So then, instead of fear driving my actions and telling me what to do, my fear, I'm using it to actually turn me and drive me towards Jesus. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, kinda, I picture that if, if, if the devil was using fear as a tool in your life, but then suddenly every time he tried to use fear to get on you, you start getting closer to Jesus, I think he might stop bringing some of it. I think we need to start looking at it as, God, what, what could I learn about you that I haven't explored yet? How deep is your love in this area of my life that's trying to tempt me to fear? Sometimes, not only does our fear mess up our relationship with God because we aren't fully knowing his love, we haven't experienced it, I think that translates to fear hinders us from having healthy relationships with people. Because there is something about the, the love that we have received from Jesus is the same love that we give towards other people. Come on. There's, there's the, uh, that is just a principle of the Bible that the, the love you've received is how you love others. So if we're walking in a place of fear where we haven't fully known the depth of God's love, how can we truly love the people around us well? So not, not only does fear want to cripple your relationship and your, your perception of love, the love of God, it'll then seep in and cripple your relationships with the people around you. And there's a hesitancy sometimes to love people unconditionally because I'm not convinced that the Father loves me that way. We, we read it, we talk about it in church, but the way we act sometimes, it's almost like, I say that he loves me, but I'm not acting like I'm 100% sure. And if we stay in that place, then there's always people in our lives that we keep at a distance. I'm not sure I could love you unconditionally because I haven't really felt it here. And that's why every time fear tries to creep in, we need to just run into the arms of Jesus. I need to know your love more. I need to understand that you've, you've done everything that could possibly be done for my life. That's, that's part of what that verse in 1 John is about. 
Fear, fear has to do with punishment, it says. If we are afraid that God is really out to get us, and the moment we step out of line, he's going to smite us, there is fear in that, and perfect love drives that out of our lives. And if we, if we think God is out to get us, we're always going to be suspicious of the people around us. And we're going to wonder, why are you being nice to me? What do you want? Come on, that, that creeps into the back of our head all the time. And the more I come to know him, the less room fear has to operate in my life. My relationship with him gets healthy. My relationship with others gets healthy. The more I seek to know him, the more I crowd that fear out of my life. And besides, here's, here's one more thing. Besides messing up our relationships, fear will also rob us of our future. It will paralyze you. It will cripple you. It will keep you in a place where you can't move forward. I was, I was reading this story this week. Paul and Barnabas, they'd been evangelizing half the known world. They'd been going all over, planting churches and sharing the gospel. And Paul has this great idea. He tells Barnabas one day, hey, let's go back and visit all the people where we started churches to encourage them and preach some more. Come on, this sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? And, and they didn't even have their cell phones to coordinate it. They, they just got together and said, hey, let's, let's go travel and we'll go meet everybody. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea, Paul. I, I think we should go for it. And he says, let's take our friend John Mark with us so that he can help us. And here, I think this was part of fear and worry in Paul's life. This is what happened uh, when, when Barnabas suggested to take John Mark in Acts chapter 15, verse 38. It says, Paul disagreed strongly. Isn't that a nice way to put it in the Bible? What, what do you think that really sounded like? Like Paul disagreed strongly. Do you think, do you think Luke wrote that in, in Acts because he wanted to whitewash the conversation and put what Paul really said to him? Like, are, are you nuts? We can't take him. But it just says Paul disagreed strongly. And he says, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. What was really going on there? I think Paul was worried and fearful that the past was going to repeat itself. How many of you have ever hesitated or not done something right now because of what happened in the past? I don't want to get burned again. And, and I thought of this phrase, I said worry often, I, and I had to write this down so I could read it verbatim in my notes here. It says worry often paralyzes us in the present by playing up the past just because I wanted to work a whole bunch of peas in there to see if, it would, if the microphone's working well today. Worry often paralyzes us in the present by playing up our past. All we see are the things that have gone wrong before. That's what fear and worry does. If you're trying to remember the, the things that have happened in your life, fear and worry tries to come in the door and says, well, here's all the bad things. Let's just remember those. Remember when that person let you down before? You can't trust them again. John Mark deserted you in Pamphylia. If you try to take him on a missions trip now, that'll just happen again. And it caused Paul and Barnabas to have such a sharp disagreement that they separated and went different ways. I've, I've prayed for people before, and I've seen some amazing things happen. I've seen healings. I've seen miracles. I've seen blind eyes open. I've also prayed for people, and absolutely nothing happened. They, they were the same when they walked away as when they came up to me to get prayer. So I've got a choice in that moment. When I see somebody like, oh, should I go pray for them? Do you know what fear and worry does? Fear and worry says, remember that time where you prayed and nothing happened? 
If you, if you do that again, you're going to start having a, a streak of nothing happening, and all of a sudden you're going to be embarrassed, and you're not going to be a good witness. There's, there's no signs and wonders following your preaching. You must, like, all these things, come on. How many of you know that's where fear and worry tries to keep you? And what we need to be saying is, wait a second, I'm going to rehearse the times when God came through. When, when I've seen him come and, and heal somebody, when I've seen him do something supernatural, when I've seen him speak and set people free, those are the things I'm going to focus more on. And the more I focus on that, the less and less I hear the voice of fear and worry. Man, but fear and worry, if we let it, will rob us of our future and keep us from stepping out and taking a risk. Come on, I, th- I think half the things that Jesus asked us to do, they are risky Come on, our reputation. What's people, what are people going to think of us? What if they really get to know us? All these different things start going through our head, and it's a risk. And sometimes Jesus has that risk there just so we will step through it and see him come through. But if we let it, fear will keep us there in that place from stepping out. I want to tell you this morning, the past is not Lord. Jesus is. Come on, fear and worry are not the Lord of our lives. Jesus is. Come on, the, the things that we let drive our actions are actually what we are submitting to as Lord in our lives. Come on, if we let fear dictate how we're going to ask, we've just moved Jesus off the throne a little bit and put fear up there. And I'm not discounting that we're all saved, we love Jesus, we want to do His will all the time, but I'm just saying that the things that we let tell us what to do, those are vying for lordship in our lives. And we need to remind ourselves, those aren't the Lord of my life. Jesus is. My past isn't going to keep me right here. My fears and my worries, my concerns, all those things are not going to tell me what to do because Jesus is the only one that gets to do that. He is the boss, the Lord, the end all, be all, the last word in my life. No matter what the issues we are dealing with, as Christians, fear and worry should have no place in our lives. Their, their voice should be the last voice we listen to. Uh, and here is what Jesus said. In that walk he was taking with the disciples where he told them, can worries add a single day to your life? In Matthew 6.34, he goes on to say this, refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Come on, if you try to keep the next 60 years under control and plan it all out to the last detail, you will go crazy. I can't even keep next week under control sometimes. Some people ask me, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm not sure. But when we try to control those things in the future, we will go crazy. But Jesus says, hey, take what's in front of you right now and deal with that. I'll meet you in that moment. I'll give you grace for it. We'll walk through it together. Don't worry about the other stuff. It'll be there later. And I can't believe that he actually says this. Don't, don't worry. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. Is, is Jesus really saying that the answer to worry is just say no? I've, I've yet to see where that works really well in any situation. Is, is he saying, oh, when fear and worry comes, just, just say, oh, I'm not going to fear. and I'm not going to worry right now. Just say no to it. What's, what's he saying there? There's, there's got to be some other answer. He's saying, it's me. When you, when you seek my kingdom, when you fall into my arms, when you let me walk with you, that's how you refuse to give in to fear and worry. And, and just in case we needed some further edification on it, Jesus had Paul write this in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything. 
Anybody, everybody say anything. Can I tell you this morning that when he says don't worry about anything, anything includes the election this year. Don't worry about anything includes what's going on in the Middle East and who bombed who and who got killed. Don't worry about anything means, hey, school shootings, church shootings that have been going on. That's in the list of anything not to worry about. How about don't worry about people who have different views than me being in the same room with me? What are we going to talk about at Christmas? Come on, don't worry about anything what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, just like the disciples were worried about with Jesus. Money, which we'll talk about later this month. That's on the list of anything. Don't worry about anything. Who's mad at you? What you read in the news? What's going on? What test is coming up? Philippians says, don't worry about anything. And how does, how does he say to do that? He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He has done, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Come on, we all want peace in our lives. We all want to not worry about things. We want to be free from things. And this, I believe this is one of those times when God uses foolish things to confound the wise. If you're thinking, oh, I'm worried about this situation, pastor, it's all crushing in on me. These people hate me. They don't, I don't know what I'm going to do about work, these bills and all that. i got to make a plan. And the Bible says, wait a second, pray about that. You're like, come on, pray. We've we got to make a plan. i got to get a second job. I... The Bible says, pray about it. Pray about everything. It doesn't say what the worry is, if it's big or small, if it's something you can control or not. It just says, start to pray about it. And then the peace of God will flood your hearts. We, we go through all these hoops and all this work to try to figure out how do I get out of the hole I dug myself and what's going to make me feel better about it. And the answer is we need to start with praying. And while you're praying, God may give you a plan. He may give you a next step to take. He may do a supernatural miracle that breaks through that situation. But the start of it is to pray instead of worrying. Is, does, is that too simple? Does anybody else think, God, that's ridiculously simple? Like, why couldn't it be something more complex that we had to work harder at? And he just says, pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And it unlocks something in our lives that begins to produce peace that we can't even understand how it got there. Come on, and I believe that that's part of our witness as Christians to the world. That we can be going through these crazy situations and we've got the peace of God all over us to the point where people start to ask, aren't you worried about that? Didn't you read that in the news yesterday? Didn't you see that on TV? Didn't you hear that opinion? Why aren't you worried? Well, let me tell you, because I've been praying about it. And I've got the peace of God because I know he has everything that concerns me right in the palm of his hand. That's part of who we are as Christians. The secret to having peace is simple as pray about everything. And when we start, when we pray in that verse, it says we actually start from a, a place of thankfulness, of praying, thank you, God, for what you've already done. And I believe you can do it again. I'm going to see you cover my life and take care of me. And the promise of Scripture is that when we are thankful and we begin to pray about things, peace comes to us. And fear and worry begin to leave our lives. And because we want peace and we want to see Him work in our lives in 2020, uh, 
I actually have paper that I wanted to give people this morning. If I could have a couple people help hand these out, that would be awesome. Because we want peace and we want to pray about everything, to start the year off in January and to all be together in unity, I got a little calendar of 21 days of prayer. It's, it's something we're just going to pray through the same things together for this month of January. We're going to take three weeks to say, God, if we really prayed about everything as a church, we would see your peace come. We, we would have hope for the future of what's going to happen. We would believe that you are going to move and speak in our midst. And for those of you that are paperphobic, like some people in our family, we, we will put this out online on the Facebook page. We'll send it out via email. So you will get an electronic copy. But today I just wanted you to have it to look at it in your hand and picture, picture in your mind right now where you're going to prominently display this in your house and have it out there every day. Now I just lost the crowd because they're all reading what's on the sheet. You can read the sheet later. For now, you, you can look back up here as soon as you get one. That's funny. I, I, really, I really do. I have these visions sometimes as a pastor. You think, oh, people are going to take everything that you give them and hang on every word. And this will be like when you walk in the front door of somebody's house, this will be like right there hanging in your face. But I, I know that's not always the case. But what I am asking for, they are simple prayers, simple things that we are going to pray that are going to affect us as individuals. They're going to affect our families. It's going to transform our neighborhoods. And it's going to do some things in the church this year. As we pray together, how many of you know God does amazing things when we pray? But when we pray together, there's more that happens. There's something about unity. There's something about agreement. There's a a power that comes when we're all focused on the same thing and praying together. So that's why we're going to do this for the next 21 days of praying together. And when you're praying, you may want to add fasting to your praying. And all, the, and all the people that are, your BMI is more than a certain percentage, you're going to say amen with me right now. I don't, I don't know why. It's another one of those things that, that God uses that confounds the wise. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but there's power in it. You may want to add some fasting in with your prayer. And uh, how many of you know fasting is not to twist God's arm to do something? Come on, it's not works-based. We're not fasting for a breakthrough. If I just do this long enough, God, you'll have to move and answer this. Fasting helps us keep ourselves in line. I I believe that this is part of what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians when he said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Some of us, you have King James, you you read that where it says buffet your body and you thought it said buffet. That's That's how we ended up the way we are. Yeah, I buffeted my body, Jesus, just like you told me to. Look at this. No, what's, what's Paul saying there? Paul's saying, I discipline my body because I get to tell my flesh what to do, not the other way around. Holy Spirit is developing self-control in us so that the flesh doesn't lead us around like we're a dog on a leash. We buffet our body. We discipline it like an athlete to tell it what to do. So as we're praying together this month, you may want to add some fasting into it. And I'm not going to call a church-wide fast and tell everybody you've got to give up all food but juice for 21 days. Do what God tells you to do. He, he may speak to you and say, hey, I'd like you to do a Daniel fast this month of just fruits and vegetables. He may speak to you and say, hey, put that social media down for 21 days. How many of you know for some people that could be a harder fast than giving up food? 
You, you may just want to skip a certain meal once or twice a week and say, hey, I've, I've dedicated that time to just hear God, just to sit and to pray and to listen for his voice. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just know prayer. If I could get everybody in the room to pray the things on this list, that would be awesome. If you want to add some fasting into it, that would help you and produce something in your life where you get to hear Jesus a little bit clearer. Is everybody good with that? How many of you are willing to commit with me to pray every day for 21 days? Oh, thank you. That, <laughs> there were some reluctant arm raisers back there. there was, somebody was trying to help somebody else raise their hand. Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm not even asking for an hour every day or something like that. Just, just whatever time it would take you to read what's in that little block for the day and pray it over your life, over the church, over your family. That would be awesome. And God will do amazing things. Um, let's go ahead and have the worship team come back up before we go today. We're talking about praying. We're talking about getting fear out of our lives. It's not going to have a hold on us in in 2020. We're going to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives and not fear. I also feel like I need to say in uh, this month, I will talk about money. So for those of you that were looking forward to it and hopeful to hear messages about money in church, stay tuned. That will happen this month. Um, I also feel like I I just need to remind everybody... uh, Actually, it wouldn't be reminding if I haven't said it out loud to the whole congregation yet. I believe the word to our church for 2020 is the word clarity. And, and we're going to take some time this year to just really be specific and clear about things that we believe Jesus is doing, what he wants to do. So that'll be in, in February. We're going to do a series on clarity, the word of the year to us, uh, because I think there's power when we are clear about things and we understand what Jesus wants to do and what he's asking us. Uh, so that'll all be part of what springs out of us praying together in January. As, as we pray these prayers together, I believe God wants to do something at our church this year. He, he wants to grow it. He wants to see new people come in because they need to meet Jesus. They, they need to have encounters with him that transform their lives. I believe he wants to fill the rooms in the kids' hallway with kids this year. Uh, there's, there's things that we're going to talk about specifically and clearly that I think Jesus wants to do right here in New Life, and we get to be a part of it because we are his body. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'm, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing together. As we sing, you'll be free to be dismissed or free to hang out. If, if you would like some specific prayer to get fear and worry off of your life, the ministry team will be up here. Just come by and let them lay hands on you before you go, just to break off the power of fear and begin to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for your faithfulness to our lives. Continue to be the Lord of us. Lord, we want to do only the things that you tell us to do so that your name, Lord Jesus, will be made famous in the earth. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us this last year and in this coming new year. We give you the glory and the praise right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. When darkness tries to roar over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, no, I won't be shaken, and I won't be shaken. Let's sing that again. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, and I won't be shaken.